Please do take out your Bibles once again and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll finish up chapter 1 as we look at this second song of the Incarnation. As we turn to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, help us to be silent before You as You speak to us through Your Word and by Your Spirit. May Your Word be our rule. May Your Spirit be our teacher. And may Your greater glory be our supreme concern. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're still in our series, Knowing for Sure the Gospel According to Luke. But as you know, we, we were moving ahead, but we moved back for a few weeks. A few weeks to cover some material in Luke 1 and 2. Uh, we're today on song number 2, the Benedictus by Zechariah, in the Songs of the Incarnation. And I want us to begin with a, an image that comes from our text. Uh, and I want to ask a question. Which is your favorite? Sunrise? Or sunset. Where would you rather be? Be in a time and place to to watch the sun rise? Or to watch the sun set? Now I know there are some people that have favorites. And they'll do whatever it takes to get in that perfect place and position. To watch the sunset. Or to watch the sunrise. Where would you rather be? I mean really. Where would you rather be? Watching a sunrise or a sunset. Now, Scripture speaks of sunrises and sunsets everywhere as literal events. You know, the time of sunrise, at the time of sunset. But based on my study, I can't say that it's perfect or absolutely exhaustive, but based on my study... There's one time when a sunset or a sunrise is used metaphorically, a word picture. And that one time is when it speaks of the sunrise that will visit us from on high. If you look at your text, that's uh, toward the end of the chapter, verse 78. Well, last night we heard the music of Christmas, the sound of Christmas. I mean, listening to Christmas music, singing Christmas songs, Christmas carols, it's, it's everywhere right now. It's even the largest section of our Trinity hymnal, the section of his advent and his birth. So this month, we're taking a look and listening to four of the songs of Christmas Uh, the songs of the Incarnation, two before the birth of Jesus and two after the birth of Jesus. And together, all four present the sound of the Incarnation. The Incarnation, that mystery, when the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, becomes man, becomes flesh and dwells among us. It helps to to emphasize that Christianity, once again, is not man becoming God, but God becoming man. It's not the ascent 
It's not man climbing higher. It's the descent of God. It's God, as it were, going lower. Advent. It's the time of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God coming to man. Now the titles of these four songs are all Latin and they come from the Vulgate, a Latin translation of the New Testament. Last week it was the Magnificat from Mary where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Today it's the Benedictus, blessed be. Next week it'll be the Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which is when we move from the solos to the group, the angels. And then finally, on Christmas Day, we will look at the Nunc Dimittis by Simeon. One commentator, as I've mentioned, says that these four songs are the last of the Hebrew psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. It's where old and new come together, where promises made become promises kept. We've looked thus far in Luke at the prologue, where Luke announces his purpose and plan, the the what and why of his gospel. It's an orderly account so that Theophilus, so that the reader now may have certainty. We've paid attention already to the prelude to the songs of the incarnation, where the announcements are made of the conception and the upcoming births of two children of promise, John, His name means the Lord is gracious and Jesus, his name means the Lord saves. We've noted that Christians are children of promise, not the fulfillers of potential. And we see that clearly in the life of John and Jesus. Last week, when we looked at and listened to the Magnificat by Mary, we saw where Mary starts off praising God. Then she declares that God lifts up the humble. He brings down the proud. And through it all, he remembers mercy. We saw through Mary's song two aspects of the gospel. That that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And we saw in her song the great reversal that begins with the incarnation of Jesus. Today, we're going to be looking at and listening to the Benedictus by Zechariah. Blessed be, in verses 68 through 79, is one long sentence in the original language. Now, we're going to take a look at the story of Zechariah, the priest, in three chapters. First, though, we've got to back up earlier in chapter 1 and recall the story of his unbelief. So we're going to look at Zechariah the priest in three chapters of his life. The first chapter, his unbelief, and we see that in verses 5 through 25. And you can just have your eye there as we briefly look back at Zechariah the man and his priestly service in the temple. Now, who is Zechariah? He's a priest. And remember, along with his wife Elizabeth was righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Zechariah, it's his turn for his division of the priest to serve in the temple. He is actually called in to go into the Holy of Holies. It's the high point of his career. And while he's there, Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, shows up and we read that Zechariah was troubled. And that fear fell upon him. But the angel's response to Zechariah, of course, is, do not be afraid. But what we see then, 
is Zechariah's unbelief, his failure to believe the word of God. Remember, he didn't immediately believe the message of the angel who said that his wife was going to conceive and they were going to have a son and he was to be named John. He didn't believe immediately. You know, it reminds me of something that I need to hear, you know, uh, obey right away, all the way and with a cheerful heart, right? Here's some delayed obedience. It's not right away. He asked for a sign and oh boy, did he get a sign. He would not be able to speak he became mute, but as verse 62 also gives us an indication, he, he also became deaf. He couldn't speak or hear until the time when this was fulfilled, that sign was fulfilled. Now he saw the angel, but nonetheless he doubted. And where is he? He's in the temple. He's doubting like in here. You know, you think of doubt being, you know, out in the rough and tumble world. Zechariah is doubting, disbelieving at the high point of his ministerial career as a priest. Now, why would he doubt? Why would he not believe? Well, he knows he's old. He knows his wife is old. She's barren. His eyes are on his circumstances. His eyes are not as it were, on the Lord. So at the end of this chapter, the chapter of his unbelief, uh, you know, at the end of the chapter, sometimes there's questions for reflection, you know, something to prompt discussion. Well, let's think for a moment about some questions. Well, what were the consequences of his failure to believe? You know, I, I think it's important sometimes to distinguish between punishment and consequences, okay? Well, what are the consequences of his failure to believe? He's unable to speak. He's, he becomes silent. He becomes mute. And, and again, where and when did this moment of unbelief occur? In the temple on his best day. You see, stepping into this building, stepping through these doors does not somehow give us faith. No, that's a gift of the Lord. It is nurtured and strengthened here. But you and I can sin as easily standing up here, sitting down there. I mean, Mary's words where she refers to that coming promised son as a savior is so true. Well, here's this last question for reflection. Uh, what's the best way to deal with unbelief? Well, think about unbelief as cancer. What are some ways to deal with cancer? Surgery, you cut it out. Chemotherapy, you kill it. A couple of strategies, as it were, to deal with unbelief. Well, thankfully, uh, there are more chapters in Zechariah's book than just chapter one. Unbelief. It doesn't end after this chapter of unbelief. Thankfully, it is not the final chapter of his story. 
You see, chapter 2 in Zechariah's life is his obedience. His obedience. Join with me as I read verses 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all of these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You see, what's been going on is not only has Elizabeth's belly been growing, but Zechariah's faith is growing. You see, in being both mute and deaf, Zechariah had some time on his hands, didn't he? I mean, think about it. If all of a sudden you can't speak and you can't hear, what are you going to be able to do? Think. A lot of thinking. Zechariah had time to think. Zechariah had time to pray. You know... I think it was Martin Luther said, if you're too busy to pray, you really are too busy, right? I mean, I'm kind of, is God going to like make me unable to speak, unable to hear so that I will take time now to pray? It's what it took probably for Zechariah. But we don't see this growing faith. We don't see, as it were, acts of repentance. But we do see the fruit, right? The fruit is obedience. Look at verse 63. His name is John. His name is John. He's believed now. He's obeyed. He His name is John. God is gracious. Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is faithful. And of course, Jesus, God saves. And someone put this together. I would have loved to have claimed it was me. It was not. The faithful God who shows mercy to sinners has remembered his promise to save. That's what's going on. The faithful God who shows mercy to sinners has remembered his promise to save. You see, Zechariah's life here shows us the relationship between belief and obedience. The root of obedience is belief, and the fruit of belief is obedience. Years ago, I was at a conference, and I don't remember anything that the speaker said except this. What you believe is what you do. 
Everything else is just religious talk. What you believe is what you do. Everything else is just religious talk. Now, why do I remember that a few decades later? Because a statement like that shook me up, and I'm wrestling, is that true or not? What you do. Hmm. What you do. Now, what would you say is the most important work in the Christian life? What is, of all the things, as it were, we are called to do, what is the most important? How would, how would you answer that question? What is the most important work in the Christian life? Well, the good news is that question was asked, and Jesus answered that question in John 6. Some folks around him said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the tension was relieved on that statement because undergirding and supporting each and every act of obedience is belief. 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 Now, just as the first act of disobedience is unbelief, remember Genesis 3, they didn't believe God. The first act of obedience is belief. Somehow, right before Zechariah said his name is John, he believed. He believed. Now, this chapter of Zechariah's obedience is immediately followed by the chapter of his joy. It's not surprising because the Bible everywhere speaks of the joy, not of the sorrow of obedience. So let's spend the rest of our time looking at this third chapter. We've moved from his unbelief to his obedience, and now to his joy. Join with me as I read, beginning in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, an oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness 
and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So Mary has a song, a psalm of praise, and Zechariah here has a song or a prophecy of praise as well. Blessing God, blessed be the God of Israel. And it's a threefold joy. First, there's joy for God's salvation. Notice the origin. He has visited and redeemed his people. This salvation is is from God. It's coming from the outside to us. And it's in response, there's a reason for this salvation. It's in fulfillment of the promise. We see that in verses 70 and 72 and 73, the covenants with Abraham, the covenants with David. You see, you can't understand promises kept without understanding promises made. You can't understand the new without grasping the old. This salvation is is from God. It's not from Zechariah. It's not from any man. It's from God. It's in fulfillment of God's promises, the covenants he has made, his faithfulness to his covenant. And what does it do? What's the result of it? it? It results in deliverance. We see that in verse 74 and redemption. We see it in verse 68, saved from enemies, saved from those who hate us. And all of this has a goal and a purpose. And turn with me to verses 74 and 75. A purpose, a goal of this salvation, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. There's an echo of Moses going to Pharaoh Let my people go that we may go and worship the Lord. Saved for service without fear. Now you could unpack that for a long time. What does that mean? It means at least you're freed to serve because you've been freed. You're not serving in order to be free. It's the logic of the gospel there's, it's the, the Ten Commandments, I've rescued you, I've redeemed you, now serve me. This is my law, this is my character, this is how you are to love me and love your neighbor. Saved to serve without fear, with joy, with confidence. But it's not only joy for God's salvation, it's, it's, it's Zechariah's joy for his promised son, John, in verses 76 and 77. Here's Zechariah, an old man. He's married to a woman with a barren womb, and now they hear the cries of an eight-day-old infant being named on the day of his circumcision. John is the forerunner who will prepare the way. And as we've already seen in John's preaching, and we may visit it every now and then, he's a hard preacher, right? It's going to result in soft hearts. If he was soft, 
on what God is asking for, the repentance. If he was soft on that, it would just harden hearts. So Zechariah has great joy for God's salvation, but joy for that son of promise that is now here. But then he moves on to, of course, the joy for the promised son, Jesus, in verses 78 and 79. Zechariah speaks of Jesus being the sunrise that will visit to bring light, to guide into the way of peace. And notice the language he uses. Because of the tender mercy of God. Remember earlier, the people with Elizabeth, they were aware that God had shown mercy. Mary is aware of she's being shown mercy. And here, he speaks of the tender mercy of God. I mean, could Zechariah not also write, Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song? It's the theme of his prophecy. And that tender mercy is Jesus. Like I said last week, when I asked a man who had some difficult circumstances, how are you doing, Paul? He would always respond, better than I deserve. He was aware of the mercy of God. My friends, are we aware of God's mercy? And it's not just mercy, which would be sweet enough. Notice how it's characterized, the tender mercy of God. That, that mercy that doesn't snuff out a faintly burning wick. That mercy that doesn't destroy and crush a bruised reed. The tender mercy of God is Jesus. Well, let's revisit how Zechariah's song draws attention to the purpose of salvation back in verses 74 and 75. Redeemed, rescued, delivered, saved in order to serve God. It's not only salvation from, it's salvation to. Serving without fear and serving in holiness and righteousness. Serve without fear. Well, earlier I mentioned kind of the being freed to serve without fear of not measuring up. But what's the fear? What could be the fear here? Well, did you hear words in here speaking of darkness? Darkness, another image that, that speaks of death. Darkness, death. To be sure, that brings about fear, right? Who's afraid of the light? Y'all read that children's book? Who's afraid of the light? Anybody read that book? I did not read that book. I don't think it's been written. It's who's afraid of the dark? Who's afraid of life? Has that book been written? Probably in so many ways it has. Who's afraid of death? Remember, those of you that were here last night heard these words. The reason the Son of God appeared, the Apostle John writes, was to destroy the works of the devil. 
what would describe the works of the devil better than darkness and death? Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see how that ties in? Freedom, slavery, fear of death, freedom from fear. See, the light and life of Jesus, Zechariah is looking ahead to, comes to overtake and crush the darkness and death of Satan. What a prophecy, what a song. What a mining of the Old Testament scriptures looking forward. Zechariah's story, this three chapter story, I believe is every Christian's story. In one sense, it's a movement from unbelief to belief to joy. But even within this movement, there's always a mixture, right? When that father said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. What did Jesus do? He did not send that man away. I believe, help my unbelief. This is Zechariah's story, but it's also our story as well. Where are you today in Zechariah's story? What chapter are you in? Are you in unbelief? Are you in obedience? Are you in joy? Well, I think we can probably be in all three chapters at one time. I believe, help my unbelief. And when you believe, you obey. And when you obey, there's joy, not sorrow in obedience, being freed to serve. Now I want to circle back around as we conclude to the question of what is your favorite? Sunset or sunrise? Where do you want to be? Well, if you have a preference if you have the option of where you want to be, a place to visit where you can either watch a sunrise or a sunset, where do you want to be? But spiritually speaking, God's word doesn't give the believer a choice. The only option for where the believer is, is the sunrise. And surprisingly, you don't go and find a place to see the sunrise. Rather, the sunrise comes to the believer from on high. You see, the Christian life, my friends, is one which faces the sunrise. The beginning of a new and eternal day. And although there will be clouds and storms and wind and rain and lightning and thunder and really dark clouds, guess what? The sun is still there. It doesn't set. And that's because Jesus is the tender mercy of God. Jesus came 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That image, sitting in darkness. But there's another image, of course, in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, we heard it last night. Not only is there an image of sitting in darkness, there's the image of walking in darkness. You see, the good news, my friends, of the gospel in one aspect is this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. My friends, the sunrise has visited us from on high. Jesus has come to rescue, redeem, restore his people. I can confidently say both that we believe, those who have made a profession of faith, but oh, I could confidently say also, help our unbelief. My friends, God's word and God's spirit brings us to a place of sunrise. Rejoice, rejoice, the Lord is come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this second song of the incarnation. Thank you that it is a song that we need to read the lyrics of, and hear the music of. Father, thank you for being a faithful God who is true to all of your promises, and we thank you that they are all yes and amen in Jesus. Indeed, Father, blessed be you, the God of Israel and the God of all those who trust in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Christ the day's supreme.